We throw the word worship around all the time in church. We sing worship. If you are an old school church goer, you might remember that your bulletin used to give an order of worship uh, every Sunday when you came to church. That way you can kind of tell how long the service was going to be and how long you had to wait for lunch, right? <laughs> but have you ever thought about what worship is and what it means to worship? It's not rocket science and you're all smart people, most of you anyway. So but what, what is worship? To worship something is to recognize something's worth. To recognize something's worth. It means to worth-ship. It is to recognize something or someone's worth or value. Worth-shipping is something that mankind has done since the beginning of time. From the, the beginning, whenever people got together, they instinctively looked up. They just knew that there was something out there that was controlling what was happening all around them. In ancient times, as you know, people believed in many gods, a multiplicity of little g gods. And they looked to these gods and valued these gods because in their minds, if it wasn't for the gods controlling what was happening all around them, they couldn't survive. They looked to the gods to send rain. They looked to the gods for victory in battle. They looked to the gods to make sure that their children were born healthy. They were always trying to figure out some magic combination of what they needed to do to get the gods to play along with what they wanted the gods to do. Trying to figure out how to get these gods to favor them and their family. They're trying to figure out how to get the gods to favor their wife so that she would have a son instead of a daughter. Sorry, women, but that was just the way, the way the world worked then and even now in some countries and cultures. Over time, worship began to revolve around the idea of sacrifice. They would sacrifice animals trying to get the attention of this God or that God. Somehow they made the connection that the spilling of blood was the kind of sacrifice that these gods valued. And the more valuable the blood, the more meaning and value they believed the sacrifice was for the gods. Which led them to sacrificing all kinds of things. Uh, animals, obviously, but some cultures would sacrifice their enemies. Some tribes and cultures would sacrifice people from their own tribes. And if they really wanted to get the gods' attention, they might even go so far as to sacrifice one of their own children. All of this to gain the favor and blessing of the gods. They wanted to keep those gods happy. Happy gods, happy life. If you drill down into it, the sacrifice was essentially a bribe. They believed, uh, since they believed that the gods were holding all of the cards, they controlled when it rained, they controlled when there was a famine, they controlled when a woman got pregnant and whether she survived the pregnancy and whether the child was born a nice, strong, healthy boy. But it was a constant guessing game as to what, what it took to make them happy, to make them favor you, to give you what you wanted. It was virtually impossible to know. But... Fortunately for them, there were people like me. People who knew the secrets to getting the gods to do what you wanted gods to do. 
They were priests and witch doctors, religious leaders and holy men, and they were able to convince the tribe or the king or the nation that they knew what those gods wanted. They knew the minds of the gods. And if you will just listen to me, I can get the gods to bless you and to favor you. I'll tell you what to do to make the gods happy. And this will come as no surprise, there was always a parallel between making the gods happy and making the priest happy. I'd guess that some of you have left churches because it began to feel like that for you, even, even today. Feeling like the guy like me was manipulating you and twisting scripture to make you jump through hoops for God's favor and blessing. Stuff like that has been going on since the beginning of time. There has always been a holy person, uh, a religious leader with some sort of sacred text, some sort of sacred secret that will manipulate the religion and the people in order to get the favor of the gods. Now, the ancient Jewish worship was a little different. Similar in some ways, but very different in others. It was similar in that they also sacrificed animals, but the why they sacrificed the animals was very different than the nations around them. You see, the ancient Jews didn't sacrifice in order to bribe God. It wasn't a bribe. They didn't need to bribe God because they had something that the surrounding nations didn't have. They had a contract or a covenant with God. And that God had actually initiated the contract with them. He reached out through Moses and God basically said, I choose you. I choose you. You will be my people and I will be your God. You can read this for yourself in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 25. So you are already my people. You don't have to bribe me. You are already in with me. And I'm going to give you a written law so that you know how to treat me, how to treat others, and how I'll treat you. This written law was given to them so they'd know how to behave. So they'd know exactly how their God would give them favor and blessing. So in Deuteronomy, right before they enter the promised land and begin to claim it as their own, he tells them that he is going to give them the land simply because they are his people. But here's how you're going to behave in the land. And if you misbehave in the land that I give you, I'm going to kick you out of it. Now, for those of us with kids, this is a little how a timeout works, isn't it? You're, you're still my son, but you are going to go over there, away from the family, until you're able to come back and function in the family. That's basically what God said. I will still love you. Nothing can change that. So you don't have to bribe me, but I will put you in a timeout. Here on this side of history, we generally miss how amazing this written law was. It was way ahead of its time. Anyone critical of the ancient law of the Hebrews just doesn't know what was going on around them in the nations around them. This law was brilliant. It taught the Hebrew people how to treat each other, how to treat foreigners, how to treat their servants. It told them that they could sacrifice animals, but they couldn't sacrifice people. They couldn't sacrifice their children. 
This set them apart from the surrounding nations. This moral code set them apart from everyone else and changed the way that these Hebrews approached worship. Because, and don't miss this, this Jewish God from the start was more interested in obedience than in sacrifice. In all of the pagan nations around them, sacrifice was about getting the gods' attention. These gods didn't care how you treated foreigners and slaves. These gods didn't even care how you treated your wife or your husband or your children. They didn't care because it was just about bribing them to make sure it rained and the crops came in and you were victorious in battle. The Jewish God was different. He was less concerned with sacrifice because he couldn't be bought or bribed and more concerned with how you treated each other. You see this over and over in the, in the Old Testament. But here's how Samuel, one of the most highly esteemed Hebrew prophets, put it when he called out King Saul for his disobedience. He said, uh, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. God basically tells them that they can sacrifice until they're blue in the face, but it won't mean anything without obedience. Keep my law. Slaughter whatever you want, but if you're disobedient, I'm going to kick you out of the land because I care more about how you behave than what you sacrifice to me. Can you see the difference? And let's add to that. These Hebrews didn't believe in many gods, just one. They believed in one God who didn't need their sacrifices to keep him happy. Instead, their sacrificial system was designed to make atonement for sin. Nobody else in the ancient world understood this because their, their approach to, to, to their gods, to worship, was so different. And in just looking at this English word, we get a picture of what atonement means. It means at one meant. At one meant. Atonement is about making reconciliation or reconciling or bringing two parties together and making peace between them. In Hebrew, it means to cover over something. So for these ancient Hebrews, it meant to cover something bad, to cover sin with something good in order to restore relationship. So even, even though Jewish worship involved animal sacrifice and the spilling of blood, it wasn't to bribe God, it was to reconcile with God who had already made an everlasting covenant with his people. It was a way to bring reconciliation between people who had harmed each other because God was very concerned with how people treated each other. Day after day, year after year, individual Hebrews would cover their sin by making a costly animal sacrifice or grain sacrifice at the temple or somewhere else. And they had to make restitution to the person they had sinned against. So throughout the year, Jews offered sacrifices to atone for personal sin. And then once a year, Jews would gather from wherever they lived throughout the nation or somewhere else in the world. They would gather in Jerusalem at the temple and they would celebrate a national day of atonement. Gathered together, the people, the Jewish people would come together as the nation to repent of the sins of the nation. 
and they asked for forgiveness for sins that they didn't even know they had committed. And at some point in this festival, the high priest would place both of his hands on the head of a goat as a way of symbolically saying, I am now placing the sin of the nation of Israel on this goat. Then someone would be assigned to lead that goat down from the temple mount and into the valley, through the city streets, outside the city walls, into the valley where they would abandon the goat. It was a, a way of symbolically saying that God had taken our sin and carried away our sin as a nation. We are now sinless as a nation for one year. And then the next year, they would repeat this all over again. Year after year, Jewish worship was essentially a temporary fix for a problem that required an ultimate solution. All of Jewish worship pointed to a time when God himself would bring that ultimate solution. But until then, here's how I want you to behave. Here's how I want you to treat each other. And if you offend someone I love, you offend me. You will have to make restitution, atonement for your, for your sin toward me, and then restitution toward your brothers and sisters. This isn't forgiveness. This is a temporary covering. Years and years later, years after Jesus had come, died, rose again, and returned to heaven, when the church was beginning to blossom in the first century, an unknown author wrote a long sermon to the Hebrew people. We find this long sermon in the New Testament book of Hebrews. After the resurrection, looking back, here's what this author had to say about the Jewish sacrificial system. This sheds, sheds light on the significance of what Jesus came to do. It connects the dots, if you will. In Hebrews chapter 10, this author writes, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In other words, you could get this sacrificial system right every time for your, yourself and your family. You could excel at worship under this old system, but it would never be enough. Under that old system, those sacrifices were just a reminder, an annual reminder of your sin. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Cover, yes, temporarily cover, but take away, no. Jesus, who was, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away or carries away the sin of the world. Jesus came to fulfill and then replace this entire sacrificial worship system. It, was, it had done what it was intended for. It pointed to the ultimate solution of what is your and my ultimate problem sin. Our ultimate problem separates us from a holy God who would love to have a relationship with us, but our sin, our sin, something had to be done about our sin. Now, 
sin would no longer have to be atoned for. It would no longer be covered up. It would be forgiven once for all. But even more than that, and nobody saw this coming, even more than that, God would sacrifice himself on behalf of the entire human race through all of time. For thousands of years, people had been sacrificing in order to get the attention and blessing of the gods. For hundreds of years, the Jewish people had been sacrificing in order to atone for their sins. But now, God would reverse the curse of sin by sacrificing himself on your behalf, on my behalf. Instead of demanding something through Jesus, he would offer something. He would offer peace with himself, reconciliation, and it would change worship forever. Because now, when we come to worship, we no longer have to offer a sacrifice to appease God. Now, when we come to worship, we come to remember, to celebrate, really, that the sacrifice has already been made. And for us, our worship doesn't end when we go home. As Pastor Andy Stanley, who gave us the framework for this message, says, a Christian worship doesn't end when the gathering breaks up and everybody goes to lunch or dinner or goes home. Jesus' sacrifice should inform all of our decisions every single day. That is, we, we live with the celebration and the remembrance associated with the life of Jesus. Our worship informs everything that we do and say, the way we live, the way we love. Because the only way to really honor that kind of sacrifice is to let it change you from the inside out. That, that God would go to such great lengths to carry away your sin once for all. That kind of sacrifice, it calls us to live our lives in such a way that we honor that sacrifice. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 12. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, for the rest of the service, we're going we're gonna to focus on our sin. Not from a guilt standpoint. Guilt doesn't have any place in the life of a Christ follower anymore. But from a gratitude standpoint. You have been saved from something. So we're going to just consider that. And the price that Jesus paid for you to be free. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is consistent through all of time. That everything is pointed to Jesus uh, all along. And in that, in Jesus, we find the ultimate solution to our ultimate problem. May we be filled with gratitude. May we remember that it cost something for us to walk with Jesus. We just didn't have to pay it. So may we never, never take it for granted. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions, on your own or with others, will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God does His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's richest blessings would overflow in and through your life.